Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry skies, see your hand in time, in mind to lead me through the night. Our first message of this series, we we focused on Jesus as a camp buster. Jesus broke down ungodly barriers that separated God's people from those who needed to be God's people by Christ's actions and by his words. He he moved comfortably in and out of everybody else's quote-unquote camps. Why did he do that? Because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. It's his mission. It's his purpose. And he seeks out folks who need him. One way he accomplished this was by eating and drinking. So much so did he accept dinner invitations that his, uh, those that were contrary to him accused him of being a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, Jesus removed relational barriers. He accepted dinner invitations so that he could extend kingdom invitations. He accepted dinner invitations so that he could extend kingdom invitations. The second message in the series, we talked about Jesus as the main attraction. We briefly talked about a number of meals, but we focused on his dinner, his meal with Mary and Martha and reminded that Mary knew about the one needed thing. And she illustrated what every disciple should follow. As one bygone preacher named T.F. Tenney used to say, you got to keep the main thing the main thing. Today, as you might imagine, we're going to dig into a specific meal with the master and see what we might discover in that meal. Imagine with me, if you will, kind of create this scene in your mind. Imagine. You know, a family that all of us know decides they're going to host a big old barbecue at their house, perhaps on a holiday weekend like this. And the the family's got a large enough yard to accommodate a lot of folks. They invite multiple families, and and my wife and I are part of that guest list. And so the day arrives, and it's a spectacular Pacific Northwest day. You know what I'm talking about, 70 degrees, crystal clear skies, no humidity, no bugs, just glimpses of the mountains and the water. Amen. And we're all there, and you're happy to be invited. You're happy to attend. And you were looking forward to some good food and some interesting conversation and most likely plenty of fun and plenty of laughter. And after most of the guests have arrived and they're milling around in the yard, you're you're, uh, mingling around, and suddenly you hear someone shout out, Travis! It's, it's an unfamiliar voice. You can't quite place who it is. And so heads turn and looking around for the source of the greeting. 
And, and moving quickly through the backyard is an unfamiliar person. It's a lady. And she's smiling. She doesn't seem to be threatening. And she crosses the large yard, and, and everyone notices her. Her, her hair is combed in, in a somewhat attractive fashion, but at the same time seems a bit unkept. And she's clearly moving directly toward me. And folks see her face as she passes through the crowd. She has pretty features, and yet there are some scars on her face and, and also some sores. And, and you wonder, does she struggle with addiction? As she sweeps past people in the yard, her perfume is strong, not completely, though, concealing the smell of perspiration. Again, she calls out, Travis, I am really glad I found you. She's getting closer to me now, and as she does, she opens her arms. It's clear that she's coming in for an embrace. And I, standing alone, I observe her approach, and without apprehension, my face might suggest even some understanding of this person. And many start to wonder in the crowd, does he know this person? And perhaps more noticeable than her hair or face is her clothes. They're tight, revealing, suggestive. She's wearing really high heels, certainly unsuitable for a, a neighborhood barbecue. Her attire might be more expected in the evening along sidewalks in rough neighborhoods. Most now in the yard are transfixed by the situation. They're frozen right where they stand. With a final step, she plunges forward and hugs me in full embrace. A few observers nearly gasp audibly. She lays her head on my shoulder. I don't push her away. In fact, I, I raise my arms and gently comfort her. When I do, she begins to cry. People close can hear the whimpers. And soon the sounds are louder and she's crying openly. Those nearby notice that I'm speaking softly to her. And at this point, all across the barbecue, there are many thoughts and many emotions. Some seem encouraged by the situation. Others are confused. Some are uncomfortable. Some feel really awkward. Some are, are disappointed, and some are nearly outraged. Who is this woman? How does Pastor know her? I don't think he should hug her like that. Where is Rebecca? What's his wife Think about this. What are people going to say about this? In Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36 of that chapter, the scripture records one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home, and he, he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city 
heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And she knelt beside him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he, Jesus, turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little knows, shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Though I attempted to construct some similarities between a fictional barbecue and this biblical banquet. I want to make it clear, Jesus, far more righteous, more distinguished than this pastor would ever be in any community. And that crowd, his crowd, likely far more critical than any at our fictional barbecue. But can you imagine, I hope, participating in this meal with the master? Have you sensed the awkward in that moment? Now Luke presents the meal that happens at this banquet. It reflects what was going on in the Greek and Roman practices at that time. The diners were kind of reclining. They didn't sit in chairs and they didn't sit on the floor. They would lay pretty much halfway down on couches. So there would be a, a U-shaped table. One end remains open so that servers could come through and serve and leave food around the table. And then around that table, perpendicular, were these couches 
where the diners would lie with their heads closest to their table and the feet pointed outward. So if you will, kind of reclined on one side and then using the other hand to pick up food and to eat. It was the way they had dinner of the time in that culture. Also in that area, homes in Jesus' time, especially large homes, had these courtyards, these semi-public areas where folks could just come in. You could have access to the dinner that was happening in the courtyard. And so there would be this open area, perhaps like a backyard in our day-to-day. And so people passing by, they could see what was happening. They could hear what was being talked about. They could come in and pay their respects to the homeowner. They could even hang around. If they were desperate for food, they might stay nearby for some leftovers. And and that's the environment that we have. That's the area we have in this meal with the master. Now, many people attended the meal that day, but as you might expect, there are three main characters Jesus and Simon and the woman. Jesus, of course, the Son of Man, Emmanuel, God with us. He's the Prince of Peace. He is the consummate dinner guest. He's a friend of Jews and Gentiles, of rich and poor. He associates with rulers and tax collectors and sinners and ordinary folks. Simon is the host of the banquet. He intentionally invited Jesus to dinner. We also know that Simon was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees very strictly interpreted Moses' law. In fact, they added to it. They embraced this sizable set of oral traditions to the law. And the the Pharisees were serious about separating themselves from any who did not practice the way they practiced, who any did not live the way they lived. They were separatists, so much that they would take up swords and fight even against other Jews on this practice of separation. Simon's the inviter. Jesus has come to the meal and this woman crashes the party. She walks in off the street is his custom of the time. She's a sinner. She's got a reputation. And the author, Luke, he doesn't specify her sin. There were Greek and Aramaic words that would describe a prostitute. Luke doesn't use those words. And so biblical translations talk to her as being a sinner or sinful or immoral. Possibly she was the wife of a dishonorable person or someone with a dishonorable occupation. Perhaps she was in a gangster family, if you will. Maybe she's a woman in debt. Maybe she's an adulteress involved with another woman's husband. Maybe she was diseased or disabled, or maybe she was just in regular contact with Gentiles. And even as all of those things are possible by the language, most who know the culture and know the Pharisees agree that the most common reason for a woman to be so disgraced in that society with such a reputation would be that in fact she was a prostitute. How did these main characters interact? In society today, the world that we live in, 
views sex much differently than in Jesus' time. Today, it's safe to say that many view sex as, as mere recreation, entertainment. No different from video games, water skiing, shopping, or fishing. Many have minimized the meaning of sex. Many ignore the social, emotional, and relational bond that sex is designed to establish. But in biblical times, it was a far different culture. The Bible describes sex outside of marriage with a variety of words that open our eyes to their understanding. The Bible describes sex outside of marriage as disgraceful, as wicked. One translation as outrageous, promiscuous, evil, whoring. The scripture suggests that guilty parties should be stoned to death. It was a day of distinct sexual boundaries, a day when those who crossed the line were killed by violent, torturous death, some by stoning and in some cases even burned to death. And those actions aren't limited to the Old Testament. In John's gospel, Jesus intervened on behalf of a woman who was about to be stoned because of her adultery. The, recorded in the Hebrews in the New Testament, it says, anyone who's rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. I, I want us to appreciate that was the environment, that was the expectancy, that was the culture and society that this woman walked into in that banquet to anoint Jesus' feet. She's a known sinner. While Luke was vague about her sin, Simon seems to be uncertain about her lifestyle. He's a self-righteous Pharisee of his day. He's likely, he thought the woman was sinful and perhaps should already be dead. He knew the law inside and out. They practiced it religiously and above and beyond. In his mind, he probably had made himself judge. He decided her case. He issued his verdict and he would prefer that the woman would be violently killed for her mistakes in that same environment this same Simon is intrigued by Jesus so much by his teaching that he invites him to dinner but Jesus noted that perhaps uh, invitation was a shallow invitation because Jesus said, you never gave me any water to wash my feet. Uh, you didn't have a kind greeting. You did not offer oil to anoint my head. It, did, did the man just forget this? Did he just make it by the hostess station without being recognized? Or, or did Simon choose not to honor Jesus in such a way? Is it possible he was curious about Christ but didn't respect him? And then we see the response of Simon to Jesus' actions. Simon said to this man, if he were a prophet, he would have known what, who, and what sort of woman this is. She is a sinner. Simon thought Jesus should have known better. While Simon seemingly wasn't impressed with Jesus at that point, Jesus 
wasn't impressed with Simon either. Again, he offered no water, no oil, no, no welcoming as a real host. Instead, the woman offers to Jesus what Simon did not. Jesus saw into Simon's heart. He knew his thoughts. But I guess the most intriguing thing is that Jesus also saw the heart of the woman in addition to the heart of Simon. And he's more disgusted by what he sees in Simon than what he sees in the woman. Simon was looking just on the outside, ignoring the inside, ignoring his own deficiencies and his own self-righteousness. While Jesus saw straight through uh, and while the woman had made a, a series of repeated mistakes in her life, her heart was different now and Jesus saw her attitude and her demeanor. And between the two, uh, Simon thought God should be impressed with him. Uh, but instead, God in flesh was impressed by the woman. Amen. That's probably not what Simon expected. So the woman, the uninvited guest, she boldly enters the banquet. We assume she heard Jesus preaching at an earlier time. We assume that somehow she overheard Simon's invitation that there would be a dinner and Jesus would be there. It says she knew it. And so she comes into the party and she searches out Jesus. She's on a mission. She comes into the courtyard. She scans for Jesus. Again, she knows who he is. She must have seen him teaching elsewhere. She moves directly to him. She's on the outer periphery now at the feet of the couches where he is. She kneels at his feet and begins to cry. Not just a whimper, but to sob. And to such an extent that the tears are pouring off her face and onto his feet. She then begins to clean his feet with her hair and then she begins to kiss his feet as she pours expenses perfume over his feet. All this is happening at a table in an environment we've just discussed. Her overt, unexpected actions probably shocked the observers. The woman treated Jesus with a stunning degree of intimacy. Hers was not appropriate public behavior. Observers at best would have seen her actions as distasteful and inappropriate. At worst, they would have seen her actions as sexually suggestive. Everything about the woman is wrong. She doesn't belong here. Her actions are inappropriate in any setting for somebody like Jesus Christ. Awkward. Awkward. And Jesus never stops her. There's no arm's length. There's no pushback. As she comes near, he doesn't pull his feet up from the edge of the couch. He doesn't turn the other way on the couch to put his face away from her. Instead, he's willing to manage the awkward. 
And as with Simon, he discerns her heart to interpret her actions, and he was moved by her heart. And even though Jesus' own reputation was at stake, he doesn't stop her. He's not worried that who she is will damage who he is. In that critical, judgmental environment, Jesus welcomed her contact and received her into the banquet. And while Simon perhaps had already decided, here is someone who should die. Jesus thought differently. Here is someone who should be forgiven. Jesus changed the outcomes and the perceptions and the demeanor of the moment. Jesus offered her alternatives. In the Old Testament, the only question was, are you guilty? Did you do this? And if guilty, then the answer was judgment. And this was Simon's mindset. She ought to be stoned for her actions. But in the New Testament, Jesus proclaims and establishes a new option. He says, hey... People are going to have a chance to change. His question is not, did you do it? He already knows the answer. His question is, would you like to be different? The Old Testament was judgment first. Jesus offers compassion and the chance to change. The Old Testament said we need to eliminate the offenders. Jesus said we're going to forgive the offenders and give them another chance. Jesus' love and compassion overwhelmed the repulsion and the arrogance and the disgust of that time. Jesus presented a new option. Jesus offered the chance to change. Well, I hope you'll hear this preacher today in the Word of God. To any and all who in any way relate to this woman. You can relate to her reputation in society. You can relate to her downcast, outcast status. You can relate to her guilt and shame and sinfulness. If that falls to you or anything like that, you find yourself relating to this woman. I I preach to you very clearly. Do not accept the stares of the Simons around you. Don't you believe uh, the whispers of the Simons that are near you? Don't you succumb uh, to other self-righteous judgments? The Old Testament is gone. It is past. And because of Jesus Christ, compassion overwhelms judgment. Compassion supersedes judgment. Jesus has brought a new option. Well, I hope everyone will receive and believe and and accept the truth of the gospel today. Jesus is not afraid of any of us. Jesus is not intimidated by any person's history. 
Jesus isn't intimidated or awkward about any failures, regardless of how many or how severe. Jesus is not repulsed by any person. Uh, society may have given up and chosen the reputation and, and taken on the viewpoint of Simon, but Jesus is altogether different. He is not ashamed. He's, he'll live with what others think are awkward and embrace and receive any and all who would come to him. Our many faults cannot taint Jesus reputation. Jesus doesn't see our sins as contagious to himself or our reputations like some kind of virus that's going to strike him down and make him unavailable. Rather, Jesus knows his righteousness is greater than any of ours sinfulness. His righteousness overwhelms all sin in every life as we allow and receive His forgiveness, His purity, His righteousness, and His holiness into His life, our lives. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to prevent judgment. He came to divert judgment. He came to give life and life more abundantly. And so we, we follow the woman's example. We boldly walk into church houses where we previously thought we didn't belong. We go boldly to people's parties and to their houses filled full of righteous people where we thought we didn't belong. We enter into that place because regardless of any judgmentalism, we know, we heard, we understood Jesus was there. And so we seek Jesus. We come to Jesus on a mission. We ask his forgiveness. We welcome his new life. And as we welcome his contact, his love and mercy is what's infectious. I'm going to invite this entire congregation and any who are viewing online. I want us to take some moments right now and ask the Lord's forgiveness. However is comfortable for you to pray right now, if you want to slip a hand up in the air, you want to close your eyes, but I invite you just to approach Jesus. Can you envision yourself like that woman? Can you see yourself? I, I heard that Jesus was in the house today. I, I heard that he was reclining at table and he was going to be nearby and I'm going to approach him. I, I'm going to come up to him. I'm going to believe his forgiveness. That's beautiful. Come on, the Lord is doing some amazing things right now in men and women. The Lord is doing some wonderful things right now. His forgiveness is readily available. 
We come against the condemnation of all the Simons in this world. We come against the judgmentalism of all those who would follow that lot. And we instead receive and pursue and live in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Come on, that's awesome. Preacher, I don't have anything relative that I want to ask forgiveness for. Then you pray for other people to pray for forgiveness. You pray for others to receive forgiveness. But if you're like me, you probably made some mistakes. I made a couple just yesterday. I had to apologize to people over. I need his forgiveness. I need to go to the feet of Jesus. I need to tell him I'm sorry. I need to let him know I'm thankful that he gives us a way out. He gives us an opportunity to change that he has pushed back the judgment and he is offering to us a new option, an option of forgiveness. Just spend a moment here. Come on, the Spirit of the Lord is moving just as, as Jesus didn't move off that couch. He's not left this room. He's not left your living room. He's not pulled out of your house right now. He's not shying away from you. He's not pulling his feet back to keep you from touching him. It's not the way he operates. Go ahead and fall at the feet of Jesus. Go ahead and cast yourself on his mercy and on his grace. Hallelujah. Come on, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and husband and wife. Come on, young adult. Just be open and candid with Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't have to hide anything. We don't have to push anything aside. We don't have to play like we're perfect. We don't have to act like we're part of Simon's crew. Well, we got it all figured out and we're above and beyond. I, I don't need that business. Neither does Jesus. All he wants is for us to be genuine and candid and real and say, Oh, at the end of the day, I have met up again at the end of the day I've said some wrong things I've done some wrong things I've, I've thought some wrong things I've done things that aren't pleasing to you Lord and, and I cast myself on your infectious mercy I, I throw myself at the feet of your compassion and love I, I place myself oh Lord in the master's loving hands I, I give myself over to your forgiving and cleansing power I hope to once again have exposed the lie of Simon. Call it the enemy, call it our own self-destructive habit, our own wrong self-talk. I'm just not good enough for this. It's a lie of Simon. I'll never measure up. That's a lie of Simon. So long and so often in so many ways, I've been such a person that everybody knows about me. Shut up, Simon. Shut up, Simon. Shut up, Simon. So not the words of Jesus, but with eyes of love and compassion. He defends the right heart. He protects and embraces those who are interested in the chance to change. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to shift gears here.
going to pray a second response. And I expect all that have been moved by the power of God already because of your openness in your mind and spirit to the Lord that is here. I want to shift gears into another understanding from what's taken place at this meal. Jesus knew about the woman. He, he confessed to those around him. I tell you that her sins, they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. Right there is the core of what we often call worship. Worship is not just singing songs, it's an attitude, it's a position. Worship is adoration, it's, it's loving our Savior. It's responding to Him, reacting to Him. It's, it's our practical way of what the woman did by breaking the expensive perfume, by wiping His feet with her hair. There is something surrendered and so legitimate about a woman, a person who says, I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. I don't deserve any of this, never have, never will. And I love him for what he has done for me. And if you feel like you could step into that kind of worship and adoration right now all over this place at home, would you raise your hand, begin to raise your voice, and just tell Lord Jesus how you love him. Will you just tell him, thank you. Come on, express your gratefulness right now. You may not have an alabaster box full of expensive ointment you can break on his feet. But you can share your emotion. You can share your thoughts. You can share your words. You can confess. Oh, Savior, I thank you for what you have done for me. King of kings and Lord of lords, gracious one, holy one, you have cleansed my life. You, you gave me a chance to change. You have welcomed me into your banquet. You have offered me blessing and fellowship. You have offered me a chance to be with you. You've offered me a chance to be around you. You have welcomed me when others didn't. You have let me approach when others wouldn't. You have extended grace when others brought judgment. Lord, there's none like you. Come on, those are my words, but I think I've sowed the seed in your own words, in your own way. Would you begin to talk to him right now? Would you begin to reach out to him? Come on, adore him right now. The old hymn says, Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Our pursuit of Jesus is not to earn his love. It's because of his love. It's in response of his love. I sing to him because he loves me, not to get him to love me. I worship him because he's already reached into my life. Before we dismiss this service today, I'm going to send you home with a bit of a challenge. 
to any that have been following Christ for a, a reasonable amount of time, that you have experienced changes. He has, he's improved you. He's bettered you. He's delivered you. He's changed you. Your, your life is a reflection of his love and compassion and righteousness that have been working in your life. When that's true for every one of us, there is the danger of being like Simon. There's the danger of forgetting where we came from. It's the danger of thinking that everybody should know what I know and live what I live. Tim Keller, founder of Redeemer Church in Manhattan, he said this, to be intimidated by the world is as spiritually fatal as being overly attracted to it. To be intimidated by the world is as spiritually fatal as being overly attracted to it. Every one of us has a choice when a woman like this woman, when a person like this person in Jesus' dinner in Luke 7. Every one of us has a choice to make when someone like that enters into our lives. We have a choice. We can choose to act like Simon or we can choose to act like Jesus. I pray that every one of us follows Jesus' faith-filled response. That forgiveness and transformation are available to every person. Forgiveness and transformation are available to every person. Amen. Let's live like that. Amen. Live like that. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. In the Holy Ghost, you give me peace.